Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Zechariah. The Old Testament book of Zechariah and the book of Zechariah in chapter number 3. Zechariah and chapter number 3. If you're looking for the book of Zechariah, you could find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Turn the other direction. As you turn from Matthew, the next book is Malachi, and then you come to the book of Zechariah, the second to the last book in the Old Testament. We're in a series right now with the Minor Prophets, and what we're doing is taking one Minor Prophet a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and then what we're doing is giving a survey, an examination, just seeing a little bit about what the Bible has to say concerning these wonderful books. Now, as we had left off, we had hit the book of Haggai, and we understood the history of what was going on, is that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, had been allowed to return from captivity and return to Jerusalem with the purpose of rebuilding their temple. We understand that they worked hard and they put a fig foundation, had a great celebration. Then because of persecution and hard time, they stopped building. And so for 15 years, the Temple of the Lord, the foundation just laid it a waste. That grass began to grow up beside it. No one took care of it. It just laid there as a huge slab. Until God sent two prophets by the name of Haggai and Zechariah to preach to the people to encourage them to rise up and build. Haggai was the older preacher and he was a little bit more direct. Get up, build the house. Why are you allowing it to lay waste? Now's the time to rise up and build that God wants you to build with clean hands. God wants you to stop making excuses and rise up and build. And God's given you promises as you rise up and build. And then God used Zechariah who was complimentary, where Haggai was very much direct, get up and build, do it now, this is what God has told you. God used Zechariah to have many visions and to encourage the people. This is why you should build, because God has plans for it in the future. And God plans on doing this, and God plans on doing this. And the result was the people did rise up and build, and they finally finished the, the temple as God had directed them. But what we want to look at today is examine some of the prophecies that were given in the book of Zechariah that encouraged the people to rise up and build, that encouraged them to continue to walk and move forward for the Lord's sake. And now we come to the book of Zechariah chapter number three, the book of Zechariah chapter number three. And if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number one, the book of Zechariah chapter three and verse one. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. 
And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And if you don't mind, as we cover this, notice a phrase, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, in the book of Zechariah chapter 3. The book of Zechariah chapter 3, and notice with me in verse number 4, notice the phrase, take away the filthy garments from him. Take away the filthy garments from him. And with this, we're going to see what is covered here, the trial of Joshua. The trial of Joshua. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And you are indeed so wonderful and so mighty. I'm asking that we would learn of you as we open up the scriptures. That we would see you and that you would be found. And that we could rejoice in whom you are and what you desire to do within our lives. Again, with a message like this, I have every desire for you to be looked at and not me. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. I give you my desires, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished. I give that all to you. That you could use me as a clean vessel to get your word accomplished. That you would do your own work through your word. And we'd love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I had mentioned before, that the purpose of the book of Haggai and Zechariah was to encourage the people to rise up and build. And two of the most important people that were in charge was Zerubbabel, who is the political leader. He's the governor. And then you had Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, who is the current high priest at this time. And this passage is putting its attention on the high priest, the person who is in charge of the religious um, state of the Hebrew people. The religious state for the people to seek after God. And we could see that it is Joshua, the high priest, that is placed on trial in this passage. With this, if you don't mind, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is the courtroom. The courtroom. Now in this vision, as I just said, Joshua the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, he is in trial in this. With this, we can also see that there's more people involved in this trial. Notice with me verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. By the way, the angel of the Lord is we're identifying the people here. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is there. Joshua is there. So Joshua is on trial. And we're going to see the role of Jesus in just a second. But notice this. And Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. What we see here, here's Satan. He's the prosecuting attorney. Satan's job is to point to, to the judge and look at Joshua and say, look at him. 
Look, he's not worthy of you. He's a failure. He's filthy. He's dirty. And by the way, the Bible describes Satan and his job as he is the accuser of the brethren. His job is to accuse us before God. And he does that job pretty well because we make it easy. We fail God all the time. It's nothing for Satan to, he doesn't have to trump up charges. He has to say, look God, look at what they're doing now. He's filthy and dirty. Look at his sinful. Look at what he's engaged in. He is not worthy and he is not right. So here's Joshua. We're going to see his description in a second. He's on trial. That old dirty bird Satan. Prosecuting attorney. Saying judge. He's on trial and I want you to look. He is guilty. He is filthy. He's not worthy of standing before your presence. But let's go back to the angel of the Lord, Jesus here. Notice what the angel of the Lord does. Verse number one. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem. Rebuke thee. Is this a brand plucked out of the fire? What we see Jesus' role is that he is our attorney. He's Joshua's lawyer. He's his advocate. And Jesus is saying, listen, Satan, do you not understand that he was plucked out of the burning? He was guilty, but now he is forgiven. Those charges do not stand. I object, judge. It's already been paid for. It's clean. Leave him alone. Just leave him alone. Aren't you glad that we have Jesus who rebukes Satan for us? Because we're clearly guilty. Joshua is clearly guilty. And yet Satan rebukes Satan. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. Don't bring up those charges. It's already paid for. It's already cleared. He's already forgiven. Drop the charges. What a wonderful advocate that we have. Notice as we now look at Joshua himself. Notice in verse number 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now, here we have Joshua. Now, I want to remind you, this is a vision that Zechariah had that God gave. It is a vision. It is a representation. And so here we could see a representation. You have Satan, who is the prosecuting attorney. You have Jesus, who is the advocate. He is the lawyer. And here's Joshua. And as the camera focuses on Joshua and we look at him, He's not in his high priestly garb. He's in what is filthy garments. The word filthy garments carries from the historical idea back to lepers. In leprosy, what would happen is that this disease would ravage and boils would pop all over the body. Sore boils. And they would leak with a pus that would be all over. And this is why it was so dreaded because the pus would carry other bacterias and it would be highly infectious and it would be leaking all over. So in order to stop the leak, you would have bandages that you would put over it. And yet the pus would still leak and it would get all over the bandages, the linen. And then the pus would begin to soak up into those linens and then it would harden. And it would become crispy. It would become... Uh, very nasty to touch. It wouldn't be nice loose garments. But it would harden up and become crusty. And so if you can imagine. Here was Joshua. 
standing before God. And we know that sin makes us filthy. Here is the image here. He's wrapped up in filthy rags. Filthy garments. That are soaked up with a pus. That's dried and crusted over. And as he's standing before a holy God. And he's clearly dirty and nasty. We know that we can't stand before God in our state. That we are all, all of our righteousness, the Bible said, is as filthy rags in the book of Isaiah. That the best we can do is that crusty, filthy rag. All that you could do of your own, all you could do in your own strength, the best intentions you have, that's what it comes out of. We're filthy and we're dirty before God. We're not worthy to stand into His holy presence. And so Joshua Just letting his lawyer do everything because what can you say? I'm clearly guilty. I'm clearly nasty. I'm clearly not worthy of standing before a holy righteous judge. I can't stand before the God of gods. And Satan's saying, look at how dirty he is God. You're a God who claims to like holiness. Look at him. And then we have Jesus rebuking Satan. Leave him alone. He's been plucked from the fire. You know what? Let's change those filthy rags. Notice the next verse in verse number four. And he answered and spoke to those. So here's the angel of the Lord Jesus. He answered and spake unto those that stood before him. Take away the filthy garments from him. And he said unto him. Behold I have caused thy iniquity. Your sin to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Oh, isn't it wonderful what Jesus has done? All we could do is stand before God in our filthy rags, in our filthy clothes, that we cannot stand before God in our own. There's no way we could stand before Him. And what Jesus does is He changes us. He forgives us of our sins, and then He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He now puts on His robes of righteousness on us, and now we are dressed appropriately Before the God of God, the judge of judges, the Lord of hosts. We could stand before him because of Jesus' righteousness robed around us. Oh, I'm so thankful that's what God can do for us. That he could forgive you. He could change your righteousness. He could wipe away all of your sins. And he could change your clothes. And he can make it so we could stand before the judge. He could cleanse us. But notice as it goes on, after he's been cleansed, is that all he wants to do with Joshua? Notice with me in verse 5. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. Now a mitre was a special type of hat. You would still see it in the Middle East today. It would be uh, like a rounded um, bowl of it and then a, a point at the top. And it would be used as a picture of someone in service. Someone who was entrusted to do a duty. Notice this in verse 5. And I said, let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by. So here is Joshua. He is forgiven. He is cleansed. Now God wants to use him. And so he puts on a representative of his service, a hat. Remember, Joshua is now the high priest of the people And so as the religious leader, um, 
Zechariah is getting a vision to declare to the people, here's your religious leader. And he needed to be forgiven of his sins. And there was someone who could forgive his sins. That the high priest, even the high priest himself, the best he could do in his righteousness was filthy rags. And he needed the Lord to change his garments. To forgive him of his sins. And now that he is forgiven, he can now be used of God. And by the way, as implication to the people who needed to rise up and build, God could do that for you. He could forgive you of your sins. And not just forgive you of your sins, he could change your filthy garments and put on the robes of righteousness because of Jesus Christ. And then God wants to use you. Oh, what a courtroom scene that we have here. That clearly, here is Joshua, he's guilty, but he walks out of the court, not just forgiven and acquitted, not just wiped away, but cleansed and sent out of the courtroom ready to serve God. This was supposed to encourage the folks of Israel at the time that they can be used of God. As many mistakes as they may have made, as many sins as they may have built up, Jesus is willing to forgive them all and still put them to work. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, sometimes people will say, I know that God's forgiven me, but how can God use me? Do you know how many times I've messed up? Do you know how big I've messed up? Well, you know what a big God that we have is he's willing to wash all of that clear. And it doesn't matter how much you've done, and it doesn't matter how big you've done, God still wants to clean you up and put you to work. Isn't that wonderful? That there's no one too far gone that God can't forgive. And there's no one who's racked up so many sins that he cannot still use you. Let me tell you, there's hope in that message. There's hope that anyone can be useful to God. Oh, we see the courtroom scene here. In fact, notice 6 and 7 as they give him instructions, Joshua the high priest. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou will walk in my ways, and if thou will keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house, and shalt keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. So Jesus turns around, he talks to his client and said, Listen, We've done a lot for you now. There's an expectation that you do right. And you follow me. And I'll continue to use you. Is that a deal? That's a good deal. Because I deserve to die. Instead of being put to death. He wants to use me. I'd rather have that deal. You understand part of why Joshua could say yes. Is because he knows what he's been forgiven of. You see we don't serve God in order to get something from God. We don't serve God in order to get salvation. We don't serve God in order to stay saved. We serve God because of what he's already done for us. And because he's done so much for him, out of a thankful heart, I'm willing to say yes. You understand, with this courtroom scene, can you imagine standing before a court knowing that you are guilty? But then someone say, I'm willing to pay that price for him so he doesn't have to pay for it. Wouldn't you be a little bit grateful if you knew that you were guilty and someone paid the price for you? That's exactly what happened. Jesus paid the price. Joshua was guilty. It wasn't just wipe around the charges. It was Jesus said, I paid that debt for him. It's paid for. Now that the debt is paid for, 
Joshua should have a desire to serve God. Again, all of this is a vision. It's a picture trying to encourage the people. Now we go from the courtroom scene and then we go to the branch. Notice with me in verse number 8. Verse number 8 is a powerful verse as you study it out. Notice with me in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Notice the word branch is in all capital letters. When you see something in all capital letters, it usually refers to God, Jehovah. Here it's talking about Jesus Christ. And here it is talking about the branch. This is my servant. You know, it's interesting to study that word branch. It occurs 12 times in the word of God. And it's used specifically to describe the Messiah in one of four ways. Now, this is good stuff because we're talking about the one that saved us in the first place. He's the one that forgave us. What did he do for us? We're not going to turn there, but I'll give the references for those of you who like to take notes. That the first type of reference that we see concerning the branch in Jesus Christ is found in Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6, and then followed up in Jeremiah 33 and verse 15. And there it describes the branch. It refers to Jesus Christ as the king as portrayed in the gospel record of Matthew. In the gospel record of Matthew, it shows Jesus Christ as a portrait as Jesus Christ as the king of kings. He is the king from the tribe of the Lion of Judah. That Jesus Christ is the rightful king of Israel. We see that pictured in the book of gospel record of Matthew. And the word branch is referred to in those two passages in Jeremiah. Show Jesus Christ as the king. As we come to the second reference of the word branch, here in Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 8, we see that the word branch refers to Christ as the servant. Here we can see, for my servant, the branch. And this is going to picture the gospel record of Mark, which shows Jesus Christ as the perfect servant. The gospel record of Matthew is written to the Hebrew mind, and it's to help show to the Hebrew people that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all prophecy, including that he is the king. But the gospel record of Mark is written to the Roman mind. The Romans understood action. The book of Mark has 16 chapters of it. Uh, in it. And 12 of those chapters start with the word and. It's the book of continual action. In the book of Mark, you're not going to see a lot of discourses and a lot of lectures. You're going to see Jesus as the man of action, continually working. Inside of the gospel record of Mark, you'll have no lineage of Christ whatsoever, because who cares about the lineage of a servant? It just shows Jesus Christ as the servant, continual action. It's written to the Roman mind. As we now come to a third mentioning of the word branch, we see it in the book of Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12. Zechariah 6, 12. And in that passage, we see the word branch refers to Christ as the man. Just like it's found inside of the gospel record of Luke. And the gospel record of Luke, it portrays Jesus Christ as the perfect man. It is written to the Greek mind. To the Greeks, they were always looking to find the perfect man. That's why when you look at Greek architecture, you always find realistic statues and pictures of a perfect man or a perfect woman. Finely toned, perfect, uh, just perfectly designed 
The Greeks were always looking for the perfect man. By the way, neither here nor there. In order to be even considered to be a perfect man in Greek culture, you had to work out an hour every day or you wouldn't even be considered that. Well, most of us are out now. But for Jesus Christ, the gospel record of Luke takes time to show Jesus Christ as the perfect man. It shows Jesus Christ as a teenager. Perfect. We see Jesus Christ as he's growing up. Perfect. Jesus Christ in all of his interactions with other people, even his enemies. Perfect. That Jesus Christ is pictured as the perfect man. And in Zechariah 6.12, it refers to the branch and it talks to, about Jesus Christ the Messiah as the man. And then in Isaiah 4.2, the other reference of Jesus Christ as being the branch. In Isaiah 4.2, we see that the branch refers to Christ as Jehovah. Just as portrayed in the gospel record of John. Which shows that Jesus Christ, it soars above all the others. It's written to all of the world and it's there to declare that Jesus Christ is indeed God. That's why you go through the gospel record of John and you'll see this scenario play over and over. That Jesus begins to speak and then the Jewish people begin to grab rocks and get ready to throw it. Jesus says, time out. Why are you guys going to stone me? Why are you going to throw rocks? Because you declared yourself to be God. He said, I just wanted to hear you say it. Time in. Go ahead. Over and over, they would get ready to stone him and he would stop. Why are you going to stone me? Because you said you were God. Just making sure you heard me. All right, continue. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God. And all throughout the gospel record of John, it is there for the purpose to show that Jesus Christ is indeed God. And so as you study out the word branch throughout the Old Testament scriptures, you could see indeed it is referring to Jesus Christ. That it shows the branch as the king. It shows the branch as the servant. It shows the branch as the perfect man. And it shows the branch as God. Because Jesus Christ is all of those things. And it is Jesus Christ who is the central theme of our salvation. That it was this perfect God who became our servant. Robed himself as flesh, as man. And he died for us. And soon he is going to be king of all the world. He is God. Our Lord and our Savior. And he is our advocate. Which brings me to one last thing. We started off by showing you this courtroom. This trial of Joshua. And we showed here you had Joshua who was in his filthy rags. He was clearly guilty. You had Satan the prosecuting attorney. Who was saying look at him. Look at him. You had Jesus the angel of the Lord. Who rebuked him and said stop it. Listen the trial is over. He's already prayed for. He's been forgiven. He's been plucked out of the fire. We don't need to hear that. Those charges are already taken care of. In fact let's change him out of his filthy rags. Let's put on a clean change of garments. In fact I want to use you. Will you be willing to be used? Yes. Good. Will you do what I tell you to? You obey me and I'll continue to use you. What a great scene. We go and we see the branch which points to Jesus Christ. But there's one more thing I want to make reference to. And that's found in the New Testament. Turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John in chapter number 2. Interesting enough that we see this Old Testament picture of the courtroom scene. But as we come to the book of 1 John chapter 2, we could see the New Testament courtroom scene once again. Notice with me in the book of 1 John chapter 2. 
The book of 1 John chapter 2, and notice with me starting at verse 1. The book of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now within verses 1 and 2, it uses a lot of legal terms. The word propitiation carries the idea of the appeasement of God's wrath. That God is no longer angry because of the sin, because of the penalty has been paid. In verse number 2, it now plays this courtroom scene by calling Jesus Christ the advocate. The word advocate is an old flavored word that means lawyer. It's the same thing that Jesus Christ is our lawyer. And so once again, we have this courtroom scene. And in this, instead of Joshua, it is you and I that's on trial. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, he's your lawyer, but we've been forgiven of all of our sins. We know that according to the Bible, we have Satan. He's the prosecuting attorney and his job is to accuse the brethren. God, you see what he is doing? Right now. Look, God, catch him right now. He is guilty. But the good thing is that we have a lawyer who says, I object that sin has already been paid for. He can't be tried for it again. It is covered. Satan could say, but you don't understand. You know what he has done? Jesus says, I object that sin has already been paid for. He can't be charged with that again. It is over. In fact, notice the name of Jesus that is used in verse number 1. He says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Again, this is a legal term. And in this sense, it carries the idea that Jesus is the lawyer, the advocate who has never lost a case. Now, if I'm going to get a lawyer, I want to get the lawyer who's never lost a case. This is the lawyer that we have. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The one who's never lost a case. And by the way, I preach in jails fairly often. And for some reason, the inmates understand this principle. You hire your lawyer before you go to court. That's just how it works. You hire your lawyer before going to court. You understand one day we're all going to stand before God. And our job is to hire the lawyer to accept his services before we face him. You see, we're all guilty. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do to change that. Once you are no longer perfect, you cannot make yourself perfect. We owe God a great debt. But if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, He not only forgives you of your sins, but He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. He takes off our filthy rags, and like He did with Joshua, He puts on the robes of righteousness and places over us. And now, any time that we mess up, in fact, notice again in verse number 1, my little children, so it's speaking about Christians, this is an affectionate term speaking of Christian people, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. So John, as he's pinning this down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, listen, the reason why I'm writing this is so that way you stop sinning. So you sin not. But just in case you do sin, and that's a word conjunction. It's tying these two thoughts together. And if any man sin, we have an advocate 
with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Here he said, I'm writing this so that way you would sin less and less. By the way, the more that you realize that Jesus paid the price for you, the more that you have a desire to sin less and less. But he says, but if you do mess up, if you do sin, let me give you some good news. You have a lawyer already, Jesus Christ the righteous. Who, what's going to happen? That every time Satan tries to accuse us and said, look, this is one of your children, God. Look, he messed up. Jesus says, I object. I paid for all of his price. It's already paid for. It's already clear. It's done and over with. Jesus Christ is paid for. He objects. He rebukes Satan. It's already been paid for. But do you know there's one more person in this courtroom scene? We understand that us, we're the defendant, we're guilty. We have the prosecuting attorney. We have Satan who's accusing us. We have Jesus, our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, our lawyer who's never lost a case. But you know there's one more person in here. Notice in verse number one, and I want you to notice the name of God that is used here. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You understand that when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he is no longer just your judge, but he's also your Father. There's a change of relationship. And there's something about a father's love. We're not going to turn there for the sake of time. But as an interest to you, in the book of Deuteronomy 21, there is a law on the books that states this. That if a parents have a child who is lazy, they won't get a job, they're gluttonous, they eat all the food in the refrigerator, but they won't work, they're, they're a bum, they're lazy, they won't do anything. Every time the parent tells them to go get a job to do something, they just fight back and they refuse to listen, they don't obey the parents anymore, nothing happens. That there's a law in the books that the parents can actually bring their children to court. And they could face the court and say, listen, here's my son. I've done everything I possibly can. He won't listen. He's lazy. I'm done with him. That according to the law, that the child could be felt guilty. And they could bring that child out and stone that child for stones for being lazy. Eating all the food, not listening to the parents, not doing anything. That's, that's an awful law. I mean, it's on the books. But you know, in all of history... How many times that law has ever been enacted? None. Why? I mean, it's something that's allowable. Does that mean that we've never had lazy, rebellious children? Why not? Why has that law never been enacted? Because there's something about a father's love. This is my child. And I don't want to see him die. I don't want to see him suffer. Now you understand, God is our judge and he must judge sin. But because Jesus Christ paid our price, the price has already been paid for. So when Satan objects and says, listen, look at what they're doing now. Jesus says, I object that sin has already been paid for. I paid it in my own flesh on the cross. The judge says, case dismissed. If it's already been paid for, he's not going to make his child pay for the price once again. There's something about a father's love. That he is no longer just the judge. He's also my father. Now what's the purpose of this? Well in the book of Zechariah. It was to encourage the people to rise up and work. Why? Because we're thankful for what God has done for us. 
in this passage here, it's written for the purpose that you sin not. Because you realize what God has done for you, that Jesus paid the price. Why would I hurt my father again by purposely sinning? Why would I have Jesus have to object? Why would I give ammunition to Satan to say, listen, look at what he's doing right now. These things I've written unto you that you sin not. The more that we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary should have us have the desire where we don't want to sin anymore. Because we love him because he first loved us. You see, we're just responding to our love. Why should I serve God? Because he loves me. Why should I sin less and less? Why should I stop sinning? Because of his love for me. There's something about a father's love. He's not asking me to love him first. God is always previous. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. I'm just responding to what he has done for me. And it's all going back to him. So you say, what do I do with such a thing? Well, first of all, dear friend, if you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, I have good news for you. I'd be glad to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you could know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that they're washed away and that God is willing to forgive you of everything if you're willing to accept that free gift he offers. I could show you that today. For those of you who are saved, may I ask you, are you serving him? If you're not, may I ask the question, why not? I don't serve him in order to get something from him. I serve him because of what he's already done. Do you realize the agony he died on the cross? Do you realize everything he's done for you? How can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me? You see, it's not a big deal to serve God. It's not a big deal to obey God because of what he's already done for me. Remember, that was the whole purpose of the book of Zechariah. That illustration there was to get people to rise up and work. Not because they felt they had to. They did it because they wanted to. Because they were thankful for what God has done for them. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.